A bit like the reason why we like components. Right. Is you get to bundle things that are meaningful together. So in the same way, yeah, you have a function. It returns the cleanup. So everything's in one place. And if you forget to clean something up, you can kind of see it because, you know, it's in the same file. It's right there, actually. So we really like the way they've done actions. And it speaks again to the minimalist design that Svelte has, which really appeals. Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Next week on the show, we take up a listener topic evolving alongside JS's changing syntax. The week following Suze and the gang enroll in Feroz's web security school. Subscribe now so you don't miss that one. Today we're talking about Svelte, so let's get to it. Party time, y'all. Welcome to JS Party. We have an excellent show for you today. You know, we talk about frameworks a lot. We talk about technologies. And sometimes we talk about them in the abstract or we have our toy apps or our weekend projects. But it's not every day that we get to see and talk to some folks who are using a framework which is definitely on the upside of the hype cycle in a brand new production business. Like they're betting the business to a certain degree. Small bet. On Svelte. And so today I'm joined by the creators of Pace.dev, David Hernandez, and Matt Ryer, whose voice you may be familiar with if you listen to our sister podcast, the Not Quite As Good, But Still Okay, Go Time. Guys, thanks for joining me. <laughs> great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. How's it feel on the good side of the force? It's kind of like your Kylo Ren moment, you know? You're used to the dark side, but you've mm. been drawn. You've been drawn by the JavaScript to the yeah. light side. We're used to static types and things, so this feels now very like anything could happen. Like, That's right. You know, there's no rules. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. So yeah, we're here to talk about Pace. We're here to talk about Svelte. And the first thing that I would like to know is how you go about making these kind of decisions. So you've decided to pick Svelte for the front end. I'm sure you're doing Go for the back end. Give like the quick understanding of what Pace is. We don't need to go deep into Pace yet. But then tell us how you went ahead and chose Svelte as your tool du jour. Yeah. Well, Pace is, it's a project management tool. And we're trying to do it in a very sort of minimalist user experience. And so the user experience was kind of vital, really, for, for us. We wanted to make sure it was a beautiful kind of experience and also easy to use and hard to abuse and th these kinds of things. 
so we knew that we couldn't just render static things on the server and, and serve them to the front end. We wanted it to be more immediate than that. And uh, we wanted sort of tighter feedback loops for users and things. So we knew there was going to be some rich element to it in the front end. Mm -hmm. And we started looking at Vue, didn't we, David? Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, we were doing a little prototype with Vue. We've been doing it for a while, like more than two or three weeks doing it, isn't it? Mm. But at some point, we didn't enjoy it. It was a, like a little bit cumbersome. Yeah, it didn't feel right. It basically didn't feel right. We liked the component side, like the thing that React started with the, yeah. the three layers in the same file, like the JavaScript, the, uh, the HTML, and the CSS in the same place. But dependencies, state management was a problem. We, we basically didn't enjoy it. We didn't feel it was right. We were struggling. The learning curve was a little bit high. So we were evaluating new things. I don't know how spelled came in, to be honest. It was a tweet or we just Google it or, or whatever, but we just say, oh, we, we should try it. Yeah. Matt, do you remember how Svelte came in? Was it a tweet? Was it a... I don't remember, but I know that when we were researching it, Svelte stood out because of its minimalism. It, it makes the point that these frameworks actually, they're very powerful. Vue is very powerful. React, they're extremely powerful, but you really have to put a lot of effort in, I think, to to learn it in order to be effective in it. So like state management and other kinds of common problems probably have really nice solutions, but they weren't very accessible to us. And since we're kind of doing the whole stack, it mattered that we could get up and running quickly. Yeah. So I remember that Svelte's minimalism, and they sort of made the point that it doesn't do all the things that other frameworks will do it sort of sticks to the basics. And that resonated with us, especially with Go, because Go has that same kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. It tries not to offer every possible language feature. In fact, the language features are relatively small in Go. Uh, but what it does, it does really well, and it's easy to pick up and get running with. So that was important for us, you know, since we had to do all the work. And it's nice because the two of you are a team, right? So in terms of team size, a lot of us have a situation where we're interested in technology. We think it's superb or at least we're curious. We'd like to give it a shot, but we have to sell that idea to somebody else. And yeah. whether it's upper management or the CTO or maybe uh, who knows, but you have to get buy-in. And it's that old saying, nobody ever got fired for you know picking Microsoft or is it IBM? I don't know what the saying, but at this point, no one's getting fired for saying, let's use React. You know, it's safe at this point. Svelte yes. would be a, a challenge or, you know, potentially a tough sell inside of a larger group. But it's just the two of you. You guys are building this together, so you make your decisions autonomously. Yeah, and actually, there's a lot of benefits that come from being at such a tiny team. And it was a deliberate thing. We founded Machinebox together in the past, and that was the same kind of situation, really, where we were the ones that had to live with our mistakes. So if we make a mistake, it's kind of on us to then fix it. And that's why, you know, after a few weeks, we essentially gave up on the view code that we'd written um, to switch to Svelte. So that, in some contexts, can be quite an expensive thing to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for us, tiny team... Um, Early days. Very early Greenfield project, you know, it's a different story. 
Yeah, we didn't try to migrate. We just started a game from scratch. It was like, oh, these three weeks in the front end, didn't, it wasn't worth it. Just, just started again from the scratch. And Svelte passed really quickly the test, like kind of the, the two minutes or five minute test that you take a new framework, see if you be able to do something useful with it. Svelte passed it very, very quickly. So yeah, up to that, we fell in love with the framework. We really like it right now. So how would you describe Pace in terms of a application? Is it API with a single page app? Is it server rendered web pages that you're sprinkling interaction on top? How does it actually all fit together? Okay, so it's a single page application on top of a, it's not a REST API. It's a Go backend in App Engine. We use G Cloud, Google Cloud for most of the infrastructure. We have to communicate server-side, front-end side. It's a self-grow RPC framework. It's called Auto. It's a way that we can define the interfaces in Go and generate a JavaScript client or other type of clients. We have the JavaScript client and the Go client automatically generated, so we can just connect with any kind of language, but at the moment, we only have that. And basically, you can type an interface in Go, strongly type, automatically generate the types and, and the methods to call that interface from JavaScript. And that flow is brilliant for us because it allows us to iterate very quickly in a safe way. That's really great. So are you using TypeScript on the client side in order to get those types, or you're just using plain old JavaScript? We wish we can use TypeScript. I don't think it supports very well TypeScript right now. It's something that they are working on for the future. We are keen to migrate when Svelte is supported. Also, when we learn about TypeScript, we are kind of, both of us knew how to use it. But yeah, it's one thing that we are very keen to migrate. We have a couple of bugs already related with the strong type and you know date conversions and things like that. So we are very keen to, to migrate to TypeScript if we can. Right now, it's just a JavaScript. But the thing about the client generation is in, in Go. Mm-hmm. We can easily change the client generation to, to make some checks. So it makes sure that, for example, if you, at development time, if you pass a field that the backend doesn't expect it, it produces an error in the console. So it's, it's very useful to know, oh, I'm on development and I'm, I didn't refresh my backend or I stopped the backend and I didn't realize things like that. It's quite easy to put it into the client. Yeah, and that's another example, that little API layer that we we wrote that ourselves. In a team, that would be a hard sell because, of course, you don't want to invest and have to maintain something like that, ideally. And there are solutions that you can use off the shelf. But again, it was about the balance between the learning curve of learning one of those things and also the control you give up whenever you choose, whenever you use a framework or another existing technology, that technology already comes with trade-offs that are already pre-made. We wanted to be so kind of iterative. We weren't sure how we were going to be using things and what we'd need from this API layer. So literally, as David said, they're Go interfaces, which are Mm -hmm. strongly typed interfaces. We then use templating to generate then code. And that process allows us, because since we control those templates, it allows us to just do whatever we need to do um, in the client and in the server. And and actually, that's the idea behind the project. It's actually an open source project, and we can put the link to it in the show notes, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's nice. But again, that's another decision you probably wouldn't get to make 
if you were in a team situation because sometimes we reach a barrier we couldn't do something we'd have to go and add a capability to this API layer the auto project but that's okay for us to do that since we were not only just two of us but we're also building the entire stack ourselves right so that generated JavaScript code, do you go ahead and just check that into your repo and it just lives there or is it generated on the fly during deploy? How does that work? I think it might be both. We do check it in. Do we, David? I don't remember. I know sometimes we do. Yeah, we check it in. Yeah. I think when we change something in the interface de- definition, we invoke a command to to regenerate the the client. And the thing is, we check in that that client, so if you check out, you can able to just run it. But we have a slightly different version from Dev and production. In Dev, we have some some checks to give warnings and another type of errors when you pass a field that the backend didn't expect it, or when you miss a field that the backend expected. We have that slightly different behavior for development and from production because in development it's quite useful to to have it to just yeah. iterate quickly and and have that feedback loop. And in production, the reason that we don't have it is because if you are actually sending a field that you don't expect and that works, we shouldn't stop the user to be able to perform that operation, isn't it? So it's, it's more important that. But apart from that, they are basically identical. They are all the same. Well, that definitely makes refactoring easy later, especially you want if you can switch to a TypeScript, you just change the code that you're generating rerun the generation, check it back in, and you have kind of one source of truth, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, hopefully it could be that easy. (laughs) Hopefully. Sounds like it'll work. Well, somebody already contributed a Rust template to the Oto project, and we're not Rust programmers, so we wouldn't have been able to do that, but somebody's made a Rust client, essentially. It does have that flavor to it. It's quite minimalist. It's just Go in. I mean, we chose Go because our back end is in Go and right. we're familiar with Go, you know. And actually, when it comes to choosing technology, kind of familiarity, I think, is quite an important aspect to consider. A lot of people try and sit down and look maybe purely at the performance of different technologies, mm-hmm. JSON, REST versus gRPC, for example. If it's just a space race on tech, you would say, well, it's going to be gRPC because it's a binary protocol. It's got lots of other kind of streaming features and all these things. But actually, if the team's never used that technology and it's and the concepts are new, that learning curve is is a cost that you have to also kind of consider. And yeah, so for us, tech that we enjoy and that we're familiar with, all those things play into it and end up being much more important, really, than performance considerations mm-hmm. because of the situation that we're running it in. So would you consider this client for Auto that you wrote, is it a Svelte client? Is it a JavaScript client? Is it, is it outputting plain old JavaScript objects that Svelte is then consuming, or is it outputting Svelte component thing? No, it's plain JavaScript. Okay. Yeah. Svelte is like most of the frameworks. You import things, you know, there's a build process that happens. Right. One of the things that makes Svelte special, actually, is the work it does at compile time, which we could talk about in a bit. Which we will, yeah. Yeah, essentially, it's just plain old JavaScript. It uses the Fetch API to make calls. It's just HTTP. And it is actually, at the moment, HTTP and JSON, but 
it's just a case of tweaking the templates to change that even into something else. So if we wanted to get those messages even smaller, we can do that in the Oto project. And, you know, we just then run the latest version that will generate and we won't have to touch any of our other code. It'll just mm. work. Is this a pattern that you two have done previously, maybe a machine box or elsewhere? Because you would think in terms of familiarity, something that's more familiar to more people, like GraphQL API, for example, might be just a simpler choice. You don't have to make all these decisions. But if you've already done it before... Yeah, it might be more about control, because that's the thing. We want to make this thing do exactly what we need it to do. And so this is a way to do that if you write it yourself. I don't necessarily recommend this, actually, as a strategy for teams or anything. Sure. But for David and I, I mean, we have got a lot of it, uh, quite diverse experience between us from big kind of back-end scale things. I mean, David doesn't like me saying this, but he worked on a project <laughs> for the Olympics for the BBC. Why doesn't he want you to say that? He's a very modest person. A oh. little bit sometimes, yeah. We balance each other out nicely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. Yeah. There you go. But that was like collecting live data at the Olympics at scale and distributing it and all this. So, you know, that's not an easy thing. And you can't say, can we just have a quick Olympics before to test out this tech, please? Right. He did ask and they said no. Linode is our cloud server of choice. Grab the Nanode plan for just $5 a month, just five bucks. That gets you a gig of RAM, a blazing fast 25 gig SSD, and one terabyte of transfer. Let's be honest, you can go a long ways on that five bucks. When you do need to scale up, their prices are predictable, so you can put your calculator down, you won't need it. We've been running changelog.com on Linode for years, and we've always impressed by their award-winning support team. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Once again, that's linode.com slash changelog. I would love to hear the user experience of building Pace with Svelte. Like, give us a a feature that's built out that you've done. What it looks like in Svelte, like, and maybe as a developer, and then as an end user, of course, we have the website. Maybe people can go to the website and see that feature. But a lot of these tools is about developer experience, and you want to stay minimal. You want to stay tight and lean, and that's what was attractive. Of course, compile time stuff. It's a huge attractor for performance and other reasons with Svelte simplicity. And you seem to like it because you're here to talk about it. So tell us what it feels like. What's a practical use that you're doing? Yeah, one example that stands out to me is this grouper control that we made. We have a few places in the app where we show a list of data. We wanted to group that data by some heading, right? So for example, if it's comments, then if I comment and then David comments and then I comment, we insert the the little avatar each time. Mm -hmm. If I comment and then I comment and then I comment, there's no need to repeat those avatars each time. Right. What we wanted was a way to group, basically. And, and it felt like this was going to be a difficult thing. And we were even thinking of doing it on the server initially. And then I think it was just one Saturday morning, I was kind of playing around with 
Svelte. And there's nothing unique about Svelte, probably, that I think you could do the same thing in other component sort of libraries. Sure. But essentially, we built a control which you give it a set of data, an array of data. You give it also a grouping function. So, and then it essentially calls that function for each item. And if the group is different to the previous one, then it renders the group header. And if not, it doesn't. And so it uses what they call slots in Svelte. Okay. Which is like passing little templates, little bits of markup into a component. So you just say like grouper, it looks like a normal HTML element. You pass the data in as attributes and then you create a slot for the group heading and a slot for each item. And then that's it. It will render that and group it up for you. And if you want to change how things are grouped, it's just a case of changing the little grouper function, which is just, a, it's really simple. It takes in the item and you return the value, whatever that group value is. And it's kind of as simple as that. That served us quite a few times actually in Pace so far. So that was a nice one. Hmm. Can you think of any others, David? Yeah, also we have a blog post about that one. So the, the code of that grouper is, is also open source if anybody wants to check it out. For me, one of the, my favorite features of Svelte is the use directive. It's a way to interact with other libraries, third parties, or nip into the DOM in a nice way. When you use the, that use directive, it is called actions in Svelte, I believe so. You put it to an element, and you get the node and the attributes of that node, but whatever time you update some parameter, it renders again, it calls that function again. So it's ideal to interact with other libraries. For example, if you want to use the autocomplete from an old jQuery plugin or something in UIKit that we also use, it's perfect because the, the, the life cycle of that integration is just one function, it's just self-contained, it calls destroy when the node is destroyed, so you can just tear it down quite easily. So we use it a lot for many types of features, especially when we have to interact with the other libraries. It's the perfect use case. Uh, we haven't wrote much about it, isn't it? We, we probably need to write a little bit more about it. It's a really nice use case. Yeah, and to write actions in Svelte, it's just a function, and... It takes in the node and some options. And then what you do is you return another object that has uh, a destroy method or function, I guess, mm. and also an update in there. So if anything changes, as David said, you can actually run some code and respond to those changes. And Svelte manages the lifecycle for you. So if you navigate away from a page that has that on, and by the way, this is a single page application, so there's no real page you're not really moving pages right client-side routing all that yeah exactly yeah yeah if you move to a different page it will run that code to go and you know whether it's remove listeners or whatever in some cases there's allocation that happens that you have to tidy up after yourself but what's nice is it's a single function to write an action and you return the cleanup which is a pattern that we use in go a lot as well so again very familiar for us I feel like you might be on a personal journey to say the word go as many times as you did. Did your panelists at GoTime put you up to this, Matt? You just got to keep saying go on our show as many times as you can because you're hitting double digits here, brother. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll try not to mention it again. <laughs> Don't bleep it out, though, will you? Oh, I no, should. I like to bleep it out. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. Every time you say it, it's a swear word. word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I cut you off terribly, but you, That's you, all right. you deserved uh, it. I'm no, just kidding. Keep going. Yeah, I know. I did. Yeah. So <laughs> it's nice that the setup and the teardown is all in one place. If you think about code maintainability, having a bit like the reason why we like components, right? Is you get to bundle things that mean are meaningful together. So in the same way, yeah, you have a, a function, it returns the cleanup. So you, everything's in one place. And if you forget to clean something up, you can kind of see it because, you know, it's in the same file. It's right there, actually. So we really like the way they've done actions. And it speaks again to the minimalist design that Svelte has, which really appeals. What about downsides? I'm sure it's not all puppies and rainbows and unicorns. Have you hit any... Rough edges, bugs, uh, things that are missing that you expect to be there. Anything that you would not like about it? I do think that there is a concept of kind of on mount and on destroy. And there was some weirdness around when you could call on destroy. And if you called it in the, at the wrong time, then things weren't getting called properly. I actually think they got fixed. So we updated Svelte. We updated our dependency and i think it fixed it but also because we're using client-side routing which by the way is how we say that word in british english yeah i'm gonna say what what's that routing yeah sorry yeah. so do you have a router then yes we have a router so a router no, have, doesn't <laughs> no i'm joking we have a router yeah <laughs> okay a router don't, don't bleep out when i say words in <laughs> british english as well i'm just gonna <laughs> bleep out a bunch of your words randomly and see how it shakes out <laughs> yeah for example we have a page component and it might show you a page of data. Now, in the beginning, we were loading that data on mount, which kind of makes perfect sense. Right. But then, of course, if you interact and switch to a, it's the same component, but a different URL. So it's a different, you're looking at a different page of data. That component doesn't get mounted again. It's already there. And what happens instead is that the parameters from the root itself is what's changed. So that's what we have to be reactive against, not the on mount. So we ended up not really using mount and destroy in the end very much at all. Hmm. The router is one of the things that is not part of the built-ins that Svelte has. It's a, it's a package that we use. It's one of the recommended ones. I think it's just called Svelte routing, but it's not part of the official distribution. We have to find it. Is there an official? I don't think so at this moment. Yeah, but that one's good. It's kind of one of the recommenders, but it's good good enough. Yeah, it, we, we didn't have any problem with that. Yeah, it was good. Hmm. Have you interacted with the community at all? With uh, open issues, spoken with the core team? Is it Rich or Rick? I think it's Rich, Harris and the guys. Any interaction there? Or you just been happy users over on the sideline for the most part? When we encountered some confusion around mounting and destroying, I did reach out through GitHub, opened an issue, and we've got a lot of experience in open source. And as a maintainer of some open source projects myself, I feel like I know how to open an issue. So I think they appreciated like the detail that was there. It wasn't too much information. It was kind of hopefully just right. But they responded so quickly, and I think they gave me a workaround immediately and then i think things may may be changed in the uh in the next release or something but pretty much a happy users isn't it we didn't mm. kind of interact a lot not at the level that 
we have in the Go community that we are more active here is just a, a good users more than active contributor. Yeah. There's a thing that we grew to love, which is definitely weird about Svelte, which is this kind of, it's a dollar syntax for making something reactive. Right. So I think it's technically a label in JavaScript. So you do dollar colon, and that is valid JavaScript. You're just defining a label, I think, called dollar. But in Svelte's world, that means something. And essentially, you can write a line of code or, or a block of code and any variables that are mentioned in that code, if they change, this will get basically reevaluated. Mm. So that turns out to be a very nice way of kind of describing almost in a declarative way what you want to happen. Because of the responsive nature of it, it feels a little bit magical. But yeah, it was something that initially, because we sort of didn't want there to be lots of new syntax or anything like that to learn. And this one, I thought, mm, I don't know about this initially. Mm-hmm. And they even said that on the site. They say, we know this is weird. Bear with us. You're going to love it. And we do. They're right. Yeah, it took so, uh, a while to, to learn and it took so a while to make your mind, oh, I can use the dollar thing. Once you get it, it turns out to be pretty good. Yeah. I, I quite like it. At the beginning, it was, oh, no, let's not use it for a while. Like, Maybe we don't need it, but no, we, we were wrong on that one. And it deserves uh, like a little bit of learning curve, curve in, in that sense. For the rest of the framework, it's pretty easy to learn. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying learning it. Practical AI is a weekly podcast that's making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. If the world of AI affects your daily life, this show is for you. From the practitioner wanting to keep up with the latest tools and trends. Spacey is really a library that lets you put together a whole NLP pipeline of the different things you might want to do um, and extract from your text. You know, you're not just interested in predicting one thing. You might want to read in your text. You want to find the individual sentences. You want to find out which concepts are mentioned in the text, like which person names, organizations, dates. And then you also maybe want to predict something about like what's in the text. To the AI curious, trying to understand the concepts at play and their implications on our lives. Would you rather be spending your time improving your blue score by 0.1 on French to English? Or would you rather have a breakthrough on kind of that under-resourced language that, by the way, has 350 million people using it in underprivileged areas around the world? Here's your expert hosts. My name is Chris Benson. I am a principal AI strategist at Lockheed Martin. And with me, as always, is Daniel Whitenack, a data scientist with SIL International. Hey, how's it going today, Daniel? Please listen to a recent episode and subscribe today. We'd love to have you as a listener. So let's talk about Pace itself a little bit. This is not your first rodeo. You guys built and sold machine box so you're successful entrepreneurs mm. so they say and here you are with pace it's a project management tool mm. uh, entering a market build with the jiras the trellos the 
Pivotal trackers, the what else? Microsoft GitHub products, GitHub projects, yeah, mm-hmm. GitHub projects, TextPad, right? People just use TextPad. Yep. Notion, which is on the on the come up. Mm-hmm. Monday. Yeah, you, you can make it a drinking game. So the one that runs out of project number. Oh yeah, yeah, like you just keep going around and whoever can't think of another yeah, one. Yeah. drinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that actually. <laughs> so I've already spilled the beans. I've named like seven of them. So I guess we can't play maybe next time around. But the point is the crowded market, lots of people trying to solve this problem. Uh, Basecamp's another one, right? Project management tools, communication tools. Why would you pick this space? And then like, how are you actually trying to carve out a niche and make pace stand out? Yes, well, like with Machinebox, it comes from solving our own pain. And I always think whenever I've worked on something where I really understand the pain myself, the results are so much better. I mean, whenever we try and imagine something that we're going to build a solution to some problem that we're sort of imagining or we don't really have personal experience with, you make sometimes very fundamental and sometimes quite silly mistakes or assumptions. And it takes a lot of work to test and retest assumptions and all this kind of thing. So we definitely got a little bit addicted to this idea of solving your own real personal pain. Mm-hmm. And we were using Jira, um, which is extremely powerful. It's a platform really for this kind yeah, of thing. It's complicated. It's very complicated. I heard tell once many moons ago, that you can configure it to be simple to use. But I've never seen that happen. So I think, yeah, it's because it's kind of trying to do everything that it ends up being this kind of crazy monolithic monster that's difficult to use. And actually, like, ends up being quite slow, you know. And sometimes you just want to nip in, have a look at something, make a change, say, oh, this is in progress, or make some comments or ask a question and nip out. You know, and we were spending too long in these tools, even to the point where I once was trying to say, oh, this work's done. And I clicked done and it said, oh, you didn't enter these fields, these four fields. So I was like, I don't know what those four fields mean. And so I couldn't mark the work as done because it wouldn't let me. And it's just like, well, what? You know, so... <laughs> So it was things like that. And David, what was the other one? Slack was the other thing that we were kind of getting. Yeah, basically we understand product or project management or even team management as a communication. Mm-hmm. The ground of Jira and other tools is not based on communications. It's based on tasks that you create and you assign to people. <laughs> That's the basic flow that any project management tool has. We try to merge it in the way that we were spending a lot of time in Slack also to just communicate in the day basics. We were losing track what it has to go to Slack, has to go to Jira, or has to be an email. So uh, we reach a point that the communication is also as important as the project management itself. So we, we wanted to blend that two concepts in one and make a tool that it solves both problems so you don't have to context switch from one to another. You can do a conversation in pace and naturally create a, a card or, or, or a task to someone to do it or just want to have the opinion of some piece of work to a team so you can ask questions, send a message to a team and they can decide to convert that message into a card. 
and so on and so forth. That kind of workflows wasn't reflected at all in the current tools that we try or we use before. And at, at that point, we say, oh, yeah, it's okay. We can just make our own, see how it goes, and see if we really keen to use that tool. Mm-hmm. Turns out that from around a couple of months, we only been using Pace. We just don't use Slack anymore. Uh, absolutely, we don't use Jira. We don't have to. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> tries to make us to use Jira or any other project management tool. So we build pace with pace. And that is a, <laughs> this is even a, a good motto, isn't it? <laughs> right. So what is the core functionality of pace? It seems like there's this concept of the medium is the message. And when you think of certain applications, Trello is a list of lists. And so cards are the thing. Jira, I feel like the ticket or whatever that thing is called is like the center of the world. And you kind of get boxed into these concepts with Slack. It's really like the chat, right? It's like the message and it's a stream of messages. And so you're trying to blend worlds, but keep it simple. You're trying to provide some structure for project management, but you're also trying to provide some sort of just discussions and commentary, which is a place that, you know, GitHub is also playing in that world as well with their new discussions stuff, which is kind of like issues, but not issues. I don't know. Anyways. What's Pace's core functionality? Is it a list of things? Is it a conversation? What is it? Well, it does have the concept of a piece of work. I mean, some of these things that we've seen modeled elsewhere are modeled like that for quite good reasons. We were very open when we started. We would just allow anything to happen. Like we weren't strict with ourselves as we were exploring it. Mm-hmm. Part of why we wanted to quickly get into kind of rapid prototyping and building things is because that process is what is is how we learn really what we're doing. So you do have this concept of cards. They're the tasks that you do. And we also have conversations. And with those two things, it turns out you can kind of solve a whole raft of problems. And actually, because it's not too a bit like how Svelte was designed and the popular programming language is now no longer allowed to mention. <laughs> it's minimalist. So you know kind of where something's going to be. You know what something's going to be. And so, yeah, it's about that. I mean, you mentioned GitHub. The other thing is we know people use GitHub. And so therefore we built already into it a, a GitHub integration that allows you to mention your work in pace and we'll bring it and we link those two together for you you know that's because that's something that we found useful a lot but actually you might say with pace it's things that we've left out and it's things that we aren't aren't going to allow so one example is you can't assign work to other people in pace you can only Mm. take work right So that is a big shift because often you'll have situations where people are just assigned work by somebody else and it becomes somebody's job really to dish work out. But that turns out to not be a very efficient way of sharing out work because, you know, nobody knows better than you the things that you're interested in, the things that you're good at, the things you're going to be able to do a good job on. And so this shift, it's probably not going to change things too much, but it's a slight shift in the balance of power and empowers the team to pull the work rather than it being pushed on them. Even just psychologically, that has a uh, quite a significant difference 
a different feeling to it. Mm-hmm. You'll still have a manager say, oh, I think you should do this. Is that okay? Please assign it to yourself. Oh, yeah, okay. You're then doing it with consent, with kind of collaboration. It's less command and control. So there's a few little quirks of it like that that are bringing in really our years of experience of how we've successfully run teams and it encodes it into the tooling. So it's kind of a no-brainer. You don't really have to be thinking, who's who's best to do this work? I'm going to assign it to somebody. And there's no worse feeling for a developer when they're assigned a task that they have no idea about and they feel completely out of their depth, especially when that happens to more junior team members. Mm-hmm. So instead of that just being pushing and a very impersonal, just assigned, this work is just assigned to you, it becomes a conversation. And when you're comfortable then, yeah, you go and accept, I'll assign this to me. And that has a very different feeling to it. Um, and I've seen that be very successful. So there's a mm-hmm. few little quirks of the app like that, which we hope will find and resonate with people and find find the right people where that works, you know? You look like you want to say something, David. Yeah, so the other thing that we pay a lot of attention is in the UX, especially in not trying to steal your time. It's like the most precious time of a developer of a team is the time actually producing producing code, producing something useful, not the time right. that you spend in applications. I'm sure that Slack is one of the ones to blame to steal your time. That is really put effort to steal your time in into UX. You always have the red point to track your attention, the, the counters in the app, so it, it, you, you are missing something. Mm-hmm. The activity in the channel, so you just... All that signals makes you to pay more attention. So we try to respect a lot of the time that you spend in pace, even if you have conversation, if, even if you have notifications, so, so you can just enjoy missing things out. You can turn off your notifications, do some code, get back to pace, look for another piece of work or look for the conversations that you are part of. And I believe we put a lot of effort in the UX to be in a very natural way so so you are responsible of your time. And I think that philosophy is what it makes pace good. Yeah. We're going to try soon to see if that is, is true, but... Is what we probably spend most of the time, like just changing little little things, see that makes right, use it for a while, and see if it resonates with people. It's a tricky problem to solve, and one that I think if you strike a balance well, you'll have a winner on your hands, because there are times when those notifications or those messages are absolutely crucial that it comes to right now. I mean, if, if I have a question and you're blocking me from progress... And I'm like, David, I need to know this one thing, like whatever it happens to be, uh, the password for our Pace account. No, that, that would be a bad example. Think of a better example and insert it right here. Sometimes I'm blocked and you know I can just let you know, boom, you unblock me. I'm productive. You're back to what you're doing. Maybe you lost a little bit of context. Maybe not. Maybe you're on lunch. Who knows? Um, and there's other times where it's absolutely death. And that thing was not necessarily important now, time sensitive. And so it'd be better to have everything in an inbox that I can catch up to when I'm on lunch or when I'm, you know, coming in in the morning or finishing my day. And Slack is putting in lots of work towards this. I mean, it's not great, but they have now 
the do not disturb or the, the schedule where you're just off and like it's just silence and notifications. There's lots of things they're trying to do. I'm just curious how it works in pace or what you're thinking of how it might work with regards to a discussion about a feature where I have just a comment like, hey, this looks cool. Keep it going. Keep up the great work versus I need help right here. Do you guys find yourselves escalating to other tools? You said you're not using Slack anymore, but when David, if, if Matt's blocking you and you need an answer now or soon, do you text him at that point or do you say like notify him anyways? What's the flow for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. If I need Matt, I call him like phone or I never call you by phone probably, Matt. No. <laughs> never need you. I can't understand you. Yeah. <laughs> what What is a phone? Text is preferred. Uh, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, but Slack is doing that, but it, at its core, it is a instant messaging. That's kind of what it's good at. It sets expectations of real time. Yeah. Exactly. And the pressure that that can put on, I mean, you feel bad if you've been away and you come back and you've got lots of messages. You actually feel bad now. And that's kind of crazy. And, and it depends, obviously, with some teams, this is more of a problem than others. But the trick is really to put the knowledge in the system in a different way and and you can mitigate a lot of those urgent you know you want to avoid those this is really urgent i need you right now kind of situations they're not mm -hmm. unavoidable completely but you know with pace being asynchronous by default that gets a step closer and, and it, protecting developer time is kind of vital because those little interruptions it's you know it is annoying when you can't get an answer to something you need quickly but it's not as annoying as when you're in the zone on something and slack is knocking at your door all day mm -hmm. and so yeah we've we've gone the other way on it we've said right this is it by default it's async communication so don't expect an answer right away you can still use it in that way if you both happen to be online at the same time but you know, it certainly doesn't present in the experience. It doesn't present as though this is an instant messaging kind of kind of right. situation. Yeah, expectations are huge. So, is Pace for software teams specifically, or is it for projects? And will that scope? Like, I assume it is for software teams. That's what we've been talking yes. about. But is that scope yeah, is. ever going to change? Like, do you have aspirations to take over the world and say, like, well, it's for any project? No, because that's what Jira did, and look at it. It had to add all these things because it has to fit all these different contexts. Right. Another thing about being a tiny team and having already, like, uh, we, I don't know the, the, the polite way of saying that we sold our company so we don't have to kind of raise money. We don't right. have to try and um, show all this future growth and all this. We don't have those constraints. Your bootstrap that allows us to stay that way. Yeah, it allows us to be quite um, uh, quite sensible, really, in in what we want to do. And so, yeah, there will be definitely lots of people saying, I love the idea of Pace. It doesn't do all the things I want it to, so I can't use it. That we expect to hear. And really, we're going to be very tight. I mean, every feature that you add that somebody uses, a lot of people don't use it. And so it's in the way. And hiding it behind configuration is sort of moving the problem. I don't think it solves it. Mm -hmm. So there will be, it is going to be a bit of a niche product. We're completely okay with that. It's for software teams. 
I could see other uses for it. I mean, I've used it in other contexts quite successfully, but for sure, you know, it has the GitHub integration and, you know, a few other things that developers will appreciate. Uh, that's where our focus is going to be. And if we're adding features, it's going to be to make that developer's experience better or that software team member's experience better. Yeah, and that's it. We don't want everyone to use it. We don't want to be Jira. Mm-hmm. We're going to be small and we're sort of embracing that. One last question and then we'll call it a day. The name makes me think that it's like about speed and velocity and that makes me think of things like xp and scrum and points and estimates and how i'm you know, tracking our speed like pivotal tracker style is that something you're after or is it, do you eschew that side and, and pace is just like a good name no actually sometimes that is the right speed for what you're doing sometimes going fast is the right speed pace is talking about that there is the right pace for something sometimes going slow is the right speed to develop things. You know, when code I think of is, it, sometimes it's like, uh, and, and not just code, but features in products, it's kind of like paint. You have to wait sometimes for it to dry before you can see its true color. And basically that's kind of a semi-poetic way of saying, <laughs> if you go too fast all the time, you'd never have space to see step back and see what's happening and you know and i think also it's quite unhealthy to have this attitude pace doesn't have estimations that's another thing it doesn't have instead it prioritizes showcasing the work that you've done changing the conversation and really encouraging people to not try and guess how long something's going to take and by the way nobody knows how long stuff's going to take ever um, I hear people that are very confident they know exactly. I really don't believe it. Um, I've been doing estimations for a long time and the, the estimation sessions are never, never yield useful estimates. No. The, the useful thing about that is the conversation that you have as a team. That's the useful bit of those estimation sessions in my experience. I've been asked for estimations and I'll say no. And they say, well, I'll just make it a ballpark figure. Oh, classic. And then I'll say, yeah. well, do you want me to lie to you in specifics or in vagaries? Because I can lie in either direction. I don't want to lie to you, but the answer is I don't know. So if I yeah. give you a ballpark, that's a de facto lie because I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. And so what are you looking for here? Like specific lies or vague lies? Either way, not good. Yeah, well, they say just a ballpark, you won't be held to it. And it's like, well, why did we just work the weekend? <laughs> why did you just jot that speeches? down then? Yeah. You know? yeah, what are you writing down? Let me see what you're doing. Absolutely. <laughs> my ballpark. That's it. So we're trying to be honest with pace. We're trying to just be honest about stuff like that. No, we don't have estimations because they're sort of useless. I know why companies need them and want them, but there's other ways to do it. You can still have a deadline if you want, um, but you have to let the scope be more flexible. And if you prioritize, like we have a showcasing feature in pace that makes it very easy to um, record your screen for example, to show off some progress that you've made. Mm, In fact, screen recording is a first-class citizen in Pace. Right in the comment box, you just click a button and it uses the web APIs, you know, the media streaming APIs to to record in right there and then uploads immediately and it's in and everyone can see it. That is showing the progress and that's a much nicer way to give everyone all the things that they're trying to get from estimations which is i just want to make sure this team's working hard well they are working hard if then if you don't trust the team then 
you've got different, much bigger problems, actually. You know, they are working hard and look, this is what they're producing. And that is a much healthier way to work. Very cool, guys. Well, best of luck with it. Pace.dev. It is in beta or beta. If you're on Matt's side of the pond, you prefer to put it in beta. How do you say it in Spanish, David? Beta. See? (laughs) You're outnumbered here, Matt. Multiple, (laughs) Multiple languages calling it beta. Check it out. You guys have been blogging about your Svelte stuff. Links in the show notes to the grouper blog post as well as the open source auto. That's O-T-O. I thought it was like A-U-T-O for a minute there. So check that out as well. Uh, Check out GoTime if you're crazy. What else? Guys, appreciate you coming on JS Party and telling us all about Svelte and what you're up to with Pace. Thanks for having us. It's been a blast. It's one of the best parties I've been to for at least 10 weeks. Me too. Saying a lot. Appreciate it. Because of the lockdown. I'll cut that last minute out. The lockdown bit. Put it in twice. That's our show. Thanks for spending time with us. And a special thanks to Matt and David for joining us. If you give Pace a shot, let us know what you think. Breakmaster Cylinder produces all of our music. Old school fans of our Request for Commits podcast may be wondering if they heard an homage to the RFC theme song in there. Yes, you did. We are brought to you by amazing people at companies who get it. Shout out to Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar for their continued support. If you or your organization could benefit by speaking directly in the ear holes of the JavaScript community, you should sponsor JS Party. Podcast advertising is one of the best ways to tell your story in an authentic way. Plus, you get to feel good by supporting something you love. Learn all about it at changelog.com sponsor. We would love to work with you. That's all for now. Talk to you again next week. Everybody, if you got what it takes, because I'm Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the boys. Okay, should we get back into the uh, nitty gritty? I don't really know what nitty means, but it's just a, it's just a saying. That's a good point, yeah. The nitty gritty. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it, can something just be nitty on its own? Well, if it's knitted. Yeah. You're like, how do you like my sweater? It's like, well, awfully nitty. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what they mean then. It's almost need a sweater that just says grit. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's meta. They'll be on it. Let's get back into the knitwear, though. <laughs> let's kick on, shall we? Yeah, let's kick on. Is it everything just opposite in JS Partyland to go time? Is that what's going on? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, things that are bad are good. Uh, jokes are funny. Like, it's just opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Right, what a bird. I, I, oh, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs>